Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. I'm here to welcome you into the world of orgasmic living by hosting experts to discuss orgasmic topics such as nutrition, spirituality, personal development, sexuality, and much more. Here, we will offer lifestyle lessons that can help you lead a fulfilling, joyous, and orgasmic lifestyle. I'm your guide, Venus O'Hara. Welcome to the 11th episode of the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. In episode 11, we'll be interviewing Buck Angel, a transsexual man with a female past, gay rights activist, and innovator. Then, I'll be discussing the book I'm reading now, which is You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. And finally, we'll be experiencing a guided meditation with affirmations for sexual health. But first, let's talk about my own journey with sexual health. I've been really looking forward to this episode. I was so looking forward to speaking to Buck Angel for a long time, and I couldn't believe it when he accepted my invitation to take part in this podcast. And then we had a fantastic discussion, which was just amazing. And you will hear it in a few moments. But I've also been a bit nervous about this episode because I know that the subject of transgenderism is definitely a hot topic at the moment. It's very controversial and provocative. But our focus will be on trans health. And I do want to say that I'm approaching this from a place of naivety and curiosity and lots and lots of respect. So talking about sexual health, I'd like to talk about sexual health in general right now and my own journey of sexual health, which has been quite good actually. Well, mostly <laughs> anyway, I will share a bit more just now. Well, I lost my virginity in a kind of strange way. My um, boyfriend at the time, or my first boyfriend, didn't tell me he wasn't wearing a condom. So for me, this was a, a massive wake-up call into the world of adulthood and sexual responsibility. One day I was a virgin and then the next I had to worry about an unwanted pregnancy and I had to go to my family doctor, the one I had seen with all my childhood illnesses. And it was the first time I was going without my parents to prevent myself from becoming a parent myself. And it was such a strange, um, awful experience. So I had to ask for the morning after pill and I got it fortunately. And then after that, I had to think about contraception. And I wasn't really, I didn't trust condoms as much. Well, I did want to use them, but I thought I needed a backup plan. And so I started taking the contraceptive pill as well. So I was using the contraceptive pill and condoms, hoping for double protection because there's no way I wanted to go through the situation of having a pregnancy scare again. And I have to say that I'm so grateful to all the lovers in my past who have who have been in my different beds over the years and who haven't complained about condoms. I'm just such a condom lover. I just love, love, love condoms. And I'm so grateful that the men I've been with have never complained about the lack of sensitivity that some men do mention. And I think I've had this discussion with usually with men that I haven't slept with, but I do think that 
even though there could be a lack of or less sensitivity due to the, the, the barrier method, sex is not just in your genitals, it's also in your heart and in your mind. And I think the brain is definitely the biggest sexual organ, no doubt. But I do know friends who've been pressured into taking the contraceptive pill when they didn't really want to disrupt their hormones just because their boyfriends were complaining about condoms. And I just think, wow, I was I was really lucky. I couldn't imagine putting my body through all those hormones just because some guy wanted to feel more. What is feeling more, really? Because I wrote an article a few years ago about this and feeling more could actually be a bad thing because in the end, if something goes wrong, feeling more could be an itch. It could be smelling bad. It could be pimples or just soreness if you have the unlucky situation of of contracting an STI. And just today, actually, I published an article on my blog all about sexually transmitted infections. It was a very, very long article. As I was reading it, I was thinking, wow, this really is the unsexy side of sex. And it's kind of enough to put some people off, I guess. But um, I don't know, it's just um, very scary to think about all the things that could happen. And of course, condoms are great to use, but they are never, they're not 100%. I do like to use condoms anyway. And I do, I do I'm actually a big condom lover. I do love, um, for example, um, for some people think it's a kind of, it, it interrupts the flow of foreplay. There's like this kind of, but I think it can be part of a game or not a game, but part of the seduction. And I always prefer to, to put the condom on my partner because I think that at least then I know it's being put on correctly. And one of my problems with porn or one of the many problems I have with porn is there you don't see many condoms. And I think it would be wonderful if porn could eroticize the condom somehow. I know this is a big debate in the porn world about testing and I don't know, it's not really my my area of expertise, but I think it would be good a good message for people watching porn to kind of see it as not a bad thing and that it's actually part it should be a normal part of sexuality, especially um, in casual sex. I think condoms are just fantastic. And for me, I've always, I always used to get them for free, actually, when I was um, a student back in the day in the UK. They, they used to give them away for free in family planning clinics and also at sexual health clinics. And I remember them telling us that in a month's supply was 10 condoms. But 10 condoms for me at the age of 18 was like a week. <laughs> it was crazy. So I used to get um, you know through them quite quickly, but we always had a lot. I always had an abundance of condoms in my drawers. So there was no excuse about, it was, you know, there was no excuse. There was always a reason to be safe. There was no excuse at all. And, and for me, I've just been very grateful that um, it's all been okay. And, but for me, I actually have to be honest that most of my problems that I've had with sexual health have been related to sex toys, believe it or not, during times of celibacy. The worst thing that happened to me is that one day, or a couple of times actually, I've had a Bartholin cyst, which is one of the most painful things that I've ever been through. The Barth Bartholin glands is 
kind of near the entrance of the vagina. There's one on each side and they are responsible for our natural lubrication. And so my, um, it got blocked for me and it produced a cyst, which is just so painful. It's like having this kind of mini golf ball on your, on your vulva and one of the labia just really kind of, it gets so big, it covers the other one almost, if you can imagine what that looks like. But to walk is absolutely impossible. It's very, very, very painful. And I remember having to get in a taxi and go to see my my gynecologist and I had to get it drained, which was just absolutely awful. I mean, they had to actually, you know, take all the pus out of it. And then I had a wound in the end. And then every time I wanted to go to the loo to, to urinate, the acid of the urine would really kind of bother that, that wound. And it was just, it stung. So then I had to actually go to the loo in the shower just to kind of relieve the pain. And it was such a, an awful experience. And ever since then, I actually use condoms with my sex toys now as well, just to be extra safe. But you can never be totally safe with anything. And there's always a risk involved, but it's always good to have good intentions and hope for the best. Now it's time for this episode's interview. I'm going to be speaking to Buck Angel, a transsexual man with a female past, gay rights activist and innovator. Hello, Buck Angel. Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. I am so happy to have you here because I've watched so many of your videos over the years. So I'm kind of starstruck right now. So thank you so much. <laughs> no, thank you for having me on. You're, you're such a great human. I watch your videos on YouTube and you, you just have a great energy about yourself that I really appreciate. So thanks for having me on. Well, thank you so much. I'm really interested in this topic. I've always been interested in the topic of gender all my life because I wanted to study women's studies back in the day uh, when I was going to university. And um, so I really specialized in feminism. So I'm, I'm always clicking on topics related to gender because I'm so interested. But at the same time, I've, I've made some questions that might, and I'm kind of coming from a place of naivety, curiosity, but always respect. So I understand that this topic can be quite controversial. So I want to just get that out there to anyone who's listening to this. This is going to be all about just, yeah, I'm, I'm not really up on the, up on this subject. So that's why I'm speaking to you as yeah. my expert. So for those of who, who are not aware of your um, profile, tell me a bit about your identity as a transsexual man. So I was uh, born female, uh, not assigned, but born <laughs> female. <laughs> That's how I'm going to get myself in trouble right out the, right out the gate. <laughs> so for me, <laughs> I was born female uh, 59 years ago. And so, you know, I just never felt like female, whatever that even means now. Uh, so, and I, you know, kind of was raised like a tomboy, which what we call in the States, uh, like a little girl who acts like a little boy. Right. Anyway, long story short, I just eventually got into a lot of problems in my life and drug and alcohol, not understanding things. And I transitioned to live as a male 27 years ago. And, uh, meaning that I now live my life male, even though I was born female. So I'm a transsexual man and, and, and on some level, uh, I still respect my 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 space of being born female. So I am a I am a woman who now lives as a man. So um, talking about language, what's the difference between transgender and transsexual? So for me, again, transgender became a term that 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 started to come into play, like, gosh, maybe even 10, 15 years ago from the word transsexual. Uh, but what happened was 
transgender became an umbrella term to encompass many different types of gender variation, which I think is beautiful and amazing. But they left out the word transsexual in a sense because they felt like transsexual was derogatory, old, it only was specifically for one thing. But I'm a trans. So the difference between a transgender and a transsexual is transsexual is myself, which is somebody who is basically wants to have a quote unquote sex change. So I was born female and I always wanted to live and be a man. So there's no there's no variation there. It's pretty much from one binary to the next, right? So every transsexual is respectful of the space they came from that binary male or female space and wants to live as a binary male or female on the flip side of that. Where transgender now encompasses non-binary, um, gender queer, anyone who wants to in any way, shape or form play with their gender. And so, so I don't know, does that make sense? So I think yeah. it, mine's specifically a medicalized space. So I'm a medicalized trans person who got surgery. I got, I re- removed my breast. I still have my vagina uh, and I walk the world as a man. Okay. I've seen in your Twitter that you have so many uh, different profiles. You've got a Renaissance man, a sex toy designer, charismatic trans activist and tireless entrepreneur, human rights activist, speaker and innovator. So how, how is that going? You're doing a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, I do do a lot of things, you know, I, I, because I came from the pornography world. Tw- 20 years ago, I created the genre of trans male pornography. And so because, uh, you know, being in, in, in the sex business, it's a very difficult space to be in when you want to get out into the mainstream areas, right, of the world. And I think my story is so different than a lot of people. I'm one of the oldest trans people out there now. So because of my sex work, it hindered me and to go to speak to sort of corporations or spaces. So I, I sort of reinvented myself as, you know, as, as a speaker and a human rights activist and somebody who really has a story that not a lot of people have. And it enables me to be able to connect to people who don't understand what trans means or doesn't understand how sex is so wide and varying, right? And that person like me, how do I, how did I get to have sex when I'm still I'm a man who has a vagina? So there's so my so now my my sort of <laughs> my tagline and who I am. I'm, I'm now a guy who travels the world talking about you know being a man who was born a woman and and how I deal with that in my life and my sex and my sexuality and all those things. So I guess when you transitioned, did you have any role models? You know, that's a question that I just got asked recently. And so I thought to myself, did I have role models? My, and my father was a huge role model in my life, even though me and him did not get along. His masculinity was mm-hmm. so powerful for me and his confidence and all the things I as a little girl, I was not confident. Even as a girl and as a woman, I wasn't confident. It wasn't until I became this man. But so I saw my dad a lot and his confidence and all of that and how he just navigated the world when he didn't take any bullshit from people. And that's one thing that I learned from my dad. Do not back down and do not take bullshit from people if you are secure in your space. And so on some level, he is has been my role model to become a man uh, on some level that that's really who my role model is. Fantastic. So speaking of, um, you just spoke about vaginas there. Is it true that most trans people do not do bottom surgery? Is that true? So some people do not do bottom surgery and some people do. Now for me, I didn't get bottom surgery for the people out there who don't understand is when you change your genitals to match you know, the gender you want to be. So for me, I was born woman and I have a vagina. And for me to be fully male to some people would mean I would have to get a penis surgery. So I opted out of that. 
And I opted out of it because I transitioned such a long time ago that the surgery to me was not good enough, right? It, for me, it has nothing to do with anybody else. I wanted a working penis, but that penis doesn't necessarily work if, if that makes sense. So, you know, I chose to keep my vagina, but many, many guys like me choose to have the penis surgery or flip side trans oh, women. Right. Oh yeah, sure. It's becoming much more, it's, I think it's becoming much more popular now where a lot of younger trans men are starting to get the penis surgery. And have the procedures changed over the years? Oh yeah, they've gotten much better. Now, I will also say that I have I work with a couple of guys that I still see a lot of problems with the bottom surgery, but I don't think it's my place to comment so much on that because I haven't done it. I only the only experience I have on it is dealing with other guys who have had complications with it. So, you know, it's just what you need in order to, you know, like some guys don't even get their breasts removed. It's, it's really a very personal space. And that's why what you see today going on, like we watch me on Twitter, all those things, it's, it's put us in a space that we're like monolithic. We're not. We're all individuals, just like all women are individuals, all men are individuals. All, trans people are not all the same. Some of us do things that some other us. So this idea that trans is this very monolithic space where we all is really actually deceiving to the world and deceiving to us as trans people we need to have and, and they're, they're always screaming diversity yet you know my voice is too radical a lot for for what's happening in that community so to me there's not a lot of diversity voices in it it's just become this space where you sort of have to follow these guidelines or you're not trans so going back to to vaginas, I, I read that you have actually begun started to accept your vagina, and I, and I saw this clip of that you that you're talking about your appearance on the the Tyra Banks show. I didn't actually see the clip, but you mentioned about something about vaginas, and she said something like that she didn't like her vagina or something. I thought that was really interesting because it took me back because I had um, a time in my life where I was just in going to lesbian bars all the time, and um, the the key question when you met someone there is, are you lesbian or bi? <laughs> that was like the questions and if you're bi it's bye bye you know um <laughs> anyway there's this girl that we met one night and um we asked her are you lesbian or bi and she says i'm straight and i don't even like my vagina i couldn't imagine touching someone else's and i think we have lots of people have um internalized this thing that vaginas are disgusting so we're taught this that you know from puberty, you know, that um, people make fish jokes at school, um, sanitary towels with blue liquid. <laughs> and I think it's very difficult for, for anyone, even if you're not trans, transsexual, transgender, to actually accept your genitalia. And, and lots of lots of women, I mean, my job, I'm trying to like promote cunnilingus because people just don't let go and enjoy it, you know? So how, how, how's your journey been with embracing your, yeah. your vagina? Great question. Um, difficult because of all that, right? So mm -hmm. we get inundated with anti-vagina messages from day one when we're born as 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 women or however. Have you noticed that? Have you ever seen in the supermarket penis cleaner? <laughs> hey, that's a good idea. I'm actually gonna. I'm actually gonna <laughs> we get this in the supermarket. This intimate wash and all this stuff. I know. Well, soon they'll be changing that to uterus havers wash or something. <laughs> <laughs> something insane like that. I mean, wow. Oh my God, we can have such a conversation. But that being said, it was difficult because we're 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 just taught that vagina is what everything you just said. Smelly, ugly, sexy, 
whatever else we're taught. So I already had that in my brain, right? And so already I lived as a gay woman before I transitioned because that was really the only space I could find that, you know, celebrated me as a butch woman. Um, and even then I couldn't even deal with my vagina, right? I didn't really have sex that was exposing my body. I, a lot of times would wear my clothes, you know, that old school place where butch women a lot of times go because we're so embarrassed of our bodies on some level. So eventually, as I transitioned to a man, that was the question. That's the biggest question. Are you going to get the penis, right? Or are you going to get the vagina? That's the question that people always ask us. And so, you know, the focus on my genitals was really intense. And doing the research back in the day when we really didn't have the internet. When I transitioned, there was no internet. And I know that's pretty shocking if you think about it. I didn't get to Google anything. I didn't even get to find doctors on the internet. None of it. I had to do it all sort of like old school way. And so I just realized through my transition that if I don't start to sort of try to accept my body because there was not, it was not going to happen. I was not going to get the penis surgery. It just wasn't what I wanted. I'm kind of a perfectionist on some level. And so I chose to keep it. And then I, you know, started masturbating. And that's really, I always say it, the key to me really learning to love myself is masturbation. And that's when I had an orgasm. And that's when I was like, what? <laughs> this is insanely awesome. <laughs> I'm not getting rid of my vagina. <laughs> I love this thing, man. <laughs> so it was like a huge awakening for me to embrace the thing that I cannot change. You know, it's like the serenity prayer says that, you know, if you can't get rid of it, you have to learn how to deal with it on some level. So um, talking about vaginas as well, I mean, you, you, you've spoken about some health issues that are, are related to transition. I mean, are other parts of the transition, are, are they, have they changed the protocols over the years? In terms <laughs> of, so I, I remember reading years ago, maybe from the UK, that if you wanted to um, change is have a have a sex change as it was called you had yeah. to kind of live as the opposite gender for a year before they gave you any hormones and it was a kind of a much slower process whereas now you can just decide and um and that's it i mean yep you see me shake my head like an old man <laughs> sometimes i feel like an old man i'm like these kids man they're gonna get themselves into you know and here's the deal you can let kids do stuff and fail. It's very important that you do that. Like I have a kid, so I know you let the kid fail because when the kid fails, he learns from that situation. But what's happening now in the trans space, you can't let people fail because if you fail, if there's a lot of psychological damage that's done with that failure. So what I see for my, so what happened when I did was exactly what you just said. I had to go through a system when I transitioned. I'm, I'm the first trans guy here in Los Angeles to transition with doctors who had never even worked with trans men. So I was in a very vulnerable space of being a guinea pig, an experiment. Even my doctor called me that. It's like, I've never done this before. I don't even know what I'm doing. Can you imagine? Well, I mean, scary. that's Oh my God. I was like, well, you know, that, that was a mantra that I had. I always said, if it doesn't work out, I'll kill myself. That was always my mantra. You know, I don't even like to say that anymore because we're putting this suicide thing up on this top shelf for the kids to see that if you don't give me the medicine, I'm going to kill myself. You know, you can give kids words. You can give kids ways to communicate. And I find that we're giving a lot of this negative space, but I did feel 
very suicidal and trans people do feel suicidal. But that being said, I went through a system. I had to go to therapy for a year. I had to live as Buck. I could not li- you know exactly what you said. I had to do that before I could even take hormones. They washed me in my therapy space. So I was really b- handled very, very softly as a, like a little baby being born, right? And so that's the reason why I really think my transition is so powerful. And I've never looked back. I've never thought I made the wrong decision. I've never had any of the things I'm seeing today, right? We're seeing what we call detransitioning. And I'm very concerned about that because can you imagine if I decided I wasn't okay with myself right now? Look at me. It would be depressing. Do you think do you think the transition is, is coming from this kind of being able to decide so quickly? Do you believe that? That's right. And so, you know, I'm going to say for adults, people who are in their 20s and stuff, you know, you you go right ahead, but you are old enough to start doing your due diligence, looking at things, making sure this is the right space for you. Where an eight or nine or 10 year old does not have the same space, mental space Mm -hmm. to say, I'm a trans person. And you know, they're taking parenting rights away from parents. They're now telling parents that if your child says they're trans, you have to affirm that without any pushback. I am totally against that, 100%. Kids don't know 100% who they are. And anyone who wants to have an argument with me or a dialogue about that can. Because I want you to show me where any 8 or 10-year-old 100% is on track. There might be one out of X amount of kids who are 100% trans. But when we're saying all kids who say they're trans are trans, that's a disservice, not only to our community, but to children. So then did you start having um, testosterone? And what, what, how do you take testosterone? And what did it Right. A doctor who's called an endocrinologist. And I found him in a book because we didn't have the internet. I found this book at the bookstore and I called him up and he said, you know, kiddo, I've never worked with a woman becoming a man. I've only ever worked with men becoming women. I have no idea what I'm doing. You're more than welcome to come in, bring a note from your therapist because we had to do that, which today they call gatekeeping, but I call it safekeeping. And then I had to bring the note in that said, my therapist said, yeah, Buck is fully a dude and needs to go with this. And then my doctor said to me, I'm a, you're going to be my guinea pig. I don't know what I'm doing. And that's really the beginning of what you see here. I did not have a choice. I had to do it. So you started taking testosterone before having top surgery. Is that correct? Yeah. So I started, he jabbed me with a tiny little bit. Again, he experimented with me over time. He added a little bit, little bit, and he watched me for six months. He watched me and then he gave me, um, a lesson in how to inject the testosterone myself. So now 27 years later, I inject the testosterone myself. And, you know, and after, after a year and a half or two years on testosterone, I found a top surgeon who, which we call a top surgeon who removed my breast. Same thing. He said to me, I've never done this before. I brought a surgery from Belgium. We can try it out on you. It was really, I was an experiment. 100%. Wow. Crazy. So so I, I, think I saw an interview that where you said you didn't like doing the take, having the injection. Is it, is it weekly? Yeah, I have to do it weekly. You know, it's not that I dislike it. It's, you know, after 27 years, you just kind of do it, right? Mm-hmm. But I wish I didn't have to do it because it's still a reminder on some level, right? It's just a reminder, just like people who have diabetes or somebody who has to continue, you know, putting needles or insulin. You, you just a reminder of this space that you're in. You know, it's always like, I'm always having to, for the rest of my life, I have to inject testosterone. 
Does it always have to be an injection or is there another way? Of, is there no pills? It just is actually. Well, now for the newer generations, they're very lucky. They have things that they can implant. So they can mm-hmm. implant a little thing that will time release the testosterone. And so they're, they're, they're coming up with other ways to sort of have to do this. A lot of it's hard to inject yourself. You have to really learn how to do it. It's a difficult space. You know, imagine if you had to inject a needle into your body every week. It's not oh, wow. easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to do some injections on my belly after an operation. I just got someone else to do it. I was like, oh, I can't, I can't do it. That's right. It's intense. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. And you, and you can't change over to that other other system. Is that is it? Are you? You know, I probably could, but I'm the kind of guy that says if it's working, <laughs> right? Yeah. Don't Why mess with it. it. That's right. And it's worked for me. And I have, you know, and I just, I just feel at this time, I've been doing it for so long. Like I just get scared. What if it's not going to work for me? What if it's going to make problems? You know, I just, at almost 60 years, I'm almost 60. I don't want to have to mess with stuff at this time, at this point in my life. So what happens to your body when this, when you start taking it, what happens to the periods, for example, do you still have a period? Well, no one talks about this. No one talks about it. I know, I know, which I do. Yeah, I do because I had a lot of health problems, right? I'm I'm a guinea pig and I have a lot of information for the younger generation that they could utilize that could help them that they would never have to do. So one of the things that happened to me was called atrophy, vaginal atrophy. And nobody knows about this. There's still, it's still a, a weird place that people don't talk about it. So I made a YouTube video about it and it's been very successful. But that being said, about 15 years, into my transition, I started getting cramping pain and weird pains after sex. And I'm like, what's happening? I go to gynecologists and they'd be like, nothing's wrong with you, right? As a woman, you know what I'm talking about. They always, oh, you're fine. (laughs) It's just a little cramping. Take this medicine. And I'm like, what? No, I'm having horrible cramps after sex and it's killing me. And nobody could understand it. So one day, I just cramped up and I fell to the floor with a hundred and like eight degree temperature. And I was living in Mexico and I got rushed to the hospital. Long story short, I had vaginal atrophy and my uterus and my cervix fused together. So, you know, your uterus, it, your, your vat, vaginal space is a, a self-cleaning oven on some level. So my uterus was holding in a bunch of stuff and it became toxic and it burst and I became um, septic and I almost died. And that was 100% from atrophy, which could have been stopped if they would have given me an estrogen supplement, which they didn't. So that's, you know, as we know, the vagina works through, through with estrogen. And if you're at, that's what menopause is. Menopause is the reduction of estrogen. So that's why women get painful sex and it's dry, but who knows? No one's talking about that either. So wow. here I am a guy with vaginal atrophy, not knowing what to do. Nobody has any information. I'm the first recorded case of vaginal atrophy from long-term use of testosterone on a female bodied person. This is why we cannot deny our biology. I will forever be a biological woman. And when we start denying that, my medical needs are not being taken care of. I could have died. the doctor said, if you didn't come in five minutes earlier, you'd be dead. So what's the solution then? So you're supposed to take some form of estrogen and testosterone at the same time. That's right. Because right, you have testosterone. (laughs) We both do. We have testosterone and estrogen. You just have a higher Mm -hmm. estrogen. I have a, you know, and a lower testosterone. I have a higher testosterone, a lower. It's the way our human bodies work. Yet again, I'm an experiment. So they know they had to sort of treat me, when you start putting testosterone, the estrogen starts to come out. So they needed to give me a supplement and they 
they didn't even think about it. So the, the, the cure for that now is that we can start to talk about vaginal supplements where you can get like suppositories to stick inside, which is not comfortable for many guys. I figured out how to do it my own way with my own research. Now, I don't want anybody out there to take this as me telling you to do it because I'm not a doctor and it's the only thing I do it for myself. But I found a pill called DHEA which is a natural supplement that helps find hormones that are missing in your body. And once I started doing that, it regulated my hormone level and everything went back to normal. It's amazing. My vagina is like back to normal again. So it's something you take orally or you have to place? Yeah, orally. I do it every day. Yeah. And it, and it really has, you know, I had to have an emergency hysterectomy. So the emergency oh. hysterectomy. As a result take- of the atrophy. Yeah, they had to do it right then and there. They they basically said to me, oh my God, you're about to die. <laughs> and then they had to give me three months of hardcore um, uh, antibiotics in order to get it from being so messed up. And then after that, I had a full hysterectomy there and they recorded everything in it. And they actually did, a, they're doing a paper on it in Mexico because they, no one had ever seen anything like it before. It was my whole inside, my, my reproductive system was like a knot. They were like, oh, wow. I've never seen anything like it was. They were like, you know, scientists. They were like, this is amazing. <laughs> wow. So, so before that, you actually um, stopped, your period stopped. Is that correct? When you. Yeah. At one month into testosterone, my period stopped. Yeah. And that was that I never had it after that. And, you know, that's a big deal. I'm like, yay, it's gone. It was always a reminder of being female. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about fertility then? So, um, is, does that mean you're not fertile then? When, when Not anymore. But prior to that, you know, this is another thing. No one said to me, hey, maybe you want to freeze your eggs, right? Maybe you want to do this mm-hmm. over here. This is what the newer generation gets, the things that I didn't get, right? They could have, now they ask younger generation, hey, do you want to take some of your eggs and freeze them? Because maybe you want to have a baby later on or blah, blah, blah. Nope, I, I can never, they removed everything. They moved my ovaries, everything. And even though that being said, I could have gotten pregnant prior to that if I would have stopped testosterone and re, re- regenerated my period again. But then again, you know, I don't know long term how that's going to affect a baby. I'm not I have no idea how that's even though there are trans men who have who have babies now. Yeah, I saw an interesting documentary in the BBC, I think it was the BBC or ITV in the British TV. And it was called Seahorse. It was about a trans man um, having a baby. But I think that's he right. had to stop taking the testosterone for a while that's right. get the estrogen everything kick back in and uh but that being said are we understanding what the long-term use of testosterone like depends on how long he was on testosterone is that in some way affecting the reproductive system and is that now affecting the baby these are the, the yeah. questions i ask is it fair to you or the baby like what does that even mean like how, what are we going to see later on down the road are, are there going to be health problems from that for kids? I mean, these are real questions that I ask that I get in trouble for asking, which I don't understand why I would get in trouble for asking something that I care. I care about the future of this of this community. And I also care about the future of these young generation of kids. Do you think the generation who are transitioning now have all the information that they need about these topics? No way. And that's saying something from a 27 year plus transition person. There is no way we have the information that should be out there. And I've been screaming about my vaginal atrophy forever. And I ask all the kids, hey, did the doctor say that this could actually cause vaginal atrophy? And I would say more more than half, probably 80% of the kids are telling me, no, the doctor never said that to me. So how are you 
you, you see what I'm going about to say here? You need to make an informed choice. Is this right thing for oh, you? But absolutely. How- it's such a life-changing process. Life-changing. How can yeah. you make an informed choice when the doctor is not even giving you all the correct information, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm concerned about that. No, it's very scary. It's very scary. It is scary to me and it's not fair. Like, of course it changed my life. And of course I want every single person to have the same place I had, but I don't want you to go through what I went through and you shouldn't have to. So I don't understand the hardcore pushing of the transition yet. We don't still have all the medical information needed to basically make this a healthy space for all these, you know, new up and coming, you know, transitioning people. And all these hormones, I mean, how does that affect your mood as well? Because, I mean, I mean I, I'm, I'm on a kind of like female period cycle. And I, I do notice a couple of days where I'm, I'm kind of a bit irritable. But um, then I, I notice some, uh, things just bug me. I think, oh, yeah, it's just my period. But I mean, I, I, right. I notice uh, And also the libido, it's just like m- massive changes. I think we're a different person every day. I mean, how does that, how does that affect how are your Exactly mood? the same. Yeah. I'm exactly like that. And so if I miss my shot, right, which I have sometimes, uh, I can feel myself get depressive, get moody because it's hormones. I don't care if it's estrogen or testosterone. Hormones are powerful. It's who we are. We are made of hormones. And when one is lacking or one is higher, it literally throws you off. If you do any type of just basic research on hormones, it affects your brain, right? It affects the way you act in the world. It affects your physical health. And we're acting as if these hormones are just like, oh, don't worry. It's it's reversible. No, it is. None of this is reversible, by the way. I used to look like you. <laughs> I look like this. Can you imagine? How is this reversible? That's what I challenge this new medical space where they're like, oh, don't worry. We can give kids hormone block, puberty blockers. It'll be fine if they decide. I'm like, that's not true. You're actually making a lie about that. That is exact. That is not true. <laughs> I saw an interview that you gave on a trigonometry, which was very interesting about how you I never thought about this before about the big farmer how they have, yes. how they have a big thing to gain from this because I just thought yeah I mean if you get people on on these drugs I mean it's a lifetime of of um medication isn't it I just right I just said that yeah. right the other right before we started the conversation in the conversation I have to do this for the rest of my mm-hmm. life medicalization is something you should try to avoid I wish yeah. to God I was born a man. I do not want to be a trans person. It is not happy, happy time. Yes, it's happy, happy time because it saved my life. But it's something I need to deal with for the rest of my life. And every time I get naked, I see my body. That's not normal, right? But I've been very okay with. So So we need to understand that the percentage of trans people versus the rest of the world is so small. It's tiny, tiny, tiny. And we're a very specific group of people that need to be spoken and taken care of in a way that is not being done today. It's being done to me where it's sort of like this new thing that's happening. And how come there's so many people transitioning that we aren't even taking the time to slow down? I feel this rush to transition and this rush of this new language of if you don't transition, you're going to kill yourself. Well, really? What about all these new detransitioners? They're not killing themselves. They're actually going back because they didn't do the right thing. So there's just a lot going on right now in the transgender community that I feel is not being honest to the world. And I, I refuse to be a part of that because transitioning saved my life. Do you think it's possible to, to transition without a medical transition? 
Of course, I do think that that that's called socialized transitioning. And so on, on some level, that's what I did. Right. I was born in 1962. Imagine that. And so in the 60s and 70s, my parents on some level social transitioned me. And that what that means is that I just was a little boy. I dressed like a little boy. I was called Buck, blah, blah, blah. even though I got teased and all of the things that they're trying to avoid. You can't avoid that. Kids do that kind of stuff. It's a normal. Puberty is a normal part of 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 being a human being. And so I, I, I think that it's important that we understand social transitioning can be a very powerful space as well. Why don't you social transition your 10 year old? If they want to be a boy or a girl, you just give them that name, put on the clothes. And I watch in five, in, 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 in five weeks or something, the kid's going to go back to being, I want to be a girl, right? Like kids are always all over the place. They're not necessarily, now there could be that one kid who's like, yeah, 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 I am. But I don't believe all these kids immediately know who they are at this age. And I think a lot of kids are playing with gender. I think a lot of kids are playing with things that might not necessarily come to fruition later on in life at 20 or 30, right? Well, even for people who don't want to transition, we're still like so many things. We're so glad I didn't decide certain things. You know, I'm glad I didn't marry my first boyfriend. You know what I mean? I mean, my God, you just hit it on the head. You just hit it on the head. That's right. So you think a 10-year-old is going to be like, yeah, I saw on TikTok where a a mother posted her child, 13-year-old child's top surgery. 13. Oh, my God. That's their breast removal. And I'm like, that's child abuse. That's child abuse. I'll say it all the time. I do not believe a child should be doing any kind of medical transitioning until they're in an age where they kind of have a little bit more development and understanding. And when you start to to sort of do things that that's irreversible. Once you remove your breasts, it's irreversible. You cannot grow breasts again. It's done. So what are we doing? What what are we actually doing? So what about finding then? Is um. Because obviously there are safe and unsafe ways of doing that. That's right. Because I saw, I was watching this program recently. It's, it's a really cool series called Sex Education on Netflix. I highly recommend it. But they had um, a, a non-binary girl, girl, sorry to say that, person who was kind of binding the breasts. And um, I think there was kind of like some scars or some kind of, I don't know, some, it seemed to be looking pe- quite painful. And then another person interviewed or introduced her to the different type of crop top that was a bit safer. So you got experience with that? Sure. Well, when I transitioned again, I used duct tape, which is like a oh hardcore tape. And I would put on all these things. So they, and I had small breasts because the dysphoria is very real. It's a real thing when you have breasts and you're not comfortable. So now they make a thing called binders, which is an actually made to, it basically compresses your breasts, right? So you have a flat chest. So it looks like, um, looks like a vest, basically. You just put it over and it flattens it down. So that's a much more healthier way to do it. But long-term binding can actually cause problems. I, I, I speak to some kids now. One, he has a crushed ribs because wow. the binder was so tight. He had to wear it for 10 years and he has double D boobs, right? Wow. So this is the stuff that's very traumatic and very, and he's an adult. So I'm, I, you know, that's a different space. He's an adult. He can make a choice. He just doesn't have the money to, to have the surgery. He should be getting surgery. He's been binding for 10 years. He now has crushed ribs. He clearly has been living as a man for 10 years. He should be very, he should be, he should be put above everyone else and get that surgery. Yet now we have kids, you know, 16, 17 years old going in and getting these top surgeries. And then a couple of years later, regretting it and realizing that they should never have done it. And so where's the balance? 
right? And why have we taken mental health care out of the balance? These kids don't even have to see a therapist. They just call, it's called self-ID and it's called affirmation therapy. When you walk into therapy and you're like, I'm trans, your therapist goes, okay, no worries. (laughs) Here's testosterone. (laughs) Wow, it's it's really scary. It's really scary. Especially if you think about, you know, if they do decide to change their mind, that's right come on let's be honest in this conversation do kids change their minds oh yeah all the time i mean yeah there you go there you go i mean it's not it's not a it's not a weird thing and for when you start pushing parents because now you're guilting out parents you know as a parent i i would be mortified if they told me your kid is trans and if you don't do this right now they're going to kill themselves what space is that to put a parent in that is a horrible, mean, ugly space. You have to work with the family in order to work with the kid. You can't remove the family to work with the kid. Now you've made, now you've actually put a rift between the family, right? Now well, you've created this space where the kid looks at the family as a bad thing instead of bringing the family in and saying, let's do this together and let's figure it out together. They're dividing families, which is so manipulative and so dangerous. And I'm like, why would you remove the family out of that space? That feels very culty to me. Yeah, it's very scary, very scary. Yeah. So I've been in the sex toy. I've been, you designed a sex toy I saw. Oh, you've designed some sex toys. Yeah, yeah, I have. I designed, let's see, I have a couple here. I designed the fuck off, which is the first, yeah. this is the first transgender male sex toy uh, in the market. And it. And I, I think I did it like four or five years ago, but it really took off and it really did well. And um, because there was never anything for trans men to, you know, sort of, masturbate with or have our own you know when you see a product that says ftm you know when you see a product that says trans man we that is everything we we, people don't even realize that you have all you walk into a shop it says woman or it says man and these are things that i think we take for granted when you're somebody else and you don't see your space it marginalizes you and it doesn't make you feel like you have that space. So just creating a product for a community is a game changer because you walk into the sex shop now and you have a whole section for queer LGBT, right? All of that stuff. And that's really game changing for a lot of people who are already alienated from their own bodies. So does the clitoris always grow with testosterone? Is it just most of the time? Yes. And all the doc and all the documentation that I have done with interviews and all that. Yep. Most of the time it does. Now we're just like genetic men, right? Our biological men all have different size penises. So in the same way, what happens is the testosterone makes the clitoris grow to, you know, because the clitoris is is a penis also, right? And if you understand the whole biology thing within the womb and all of that, it can go either to a penis or or a vagina or, or clitoris. So, so when you start doing that, I mean, I got a little penis. It's crazy. It actually has like foreskin and everything. I'm like, this is so weird. I, I literally grew a penis. <laughs> it must have increased sensitivity then, surely. That's another reason not to get a dick then, I suppose. Well, well I mean, you? again, right. Yeah. It's mental. Everything is mental. Sex is mental. Finding your space is mental. So yeah, some of those guys can never look at their vagina. They can never touch it. They can never do anything. That's the, those are the guys that need the penises. I've now been able to introduce to guys that you don't have to have a penis if you don't want to. I have an amazing life. I have an amazing sex life. And, and that really, I think that's why this product really helps to, to got, give guys this opportunity to say, well, do I actually need a penis? Can I have sex this way? Will people be interested in me? Can I find sex partners? And that really did create that space where I think guys chose not to have bottom surgery because of that. 
Well, surely it must be much more pleasurable even. I'm just assuming if it's bigger and. That's right. Yeah. It does. I mean, I can tell you that I have the most amazing orgasms more than I ever had in my life. But, you know, there's the, the, the thing is, is that it's learning to let go of this mm-hmm. brain that we've been taught that we're, you know, that this is my woman vagina. Once I realized, no, this is my man vagina. And it's what I call it. I understand biologically it's female, but for me, it's finding that space to connect to my body masculine wise. And so once I just realized, okay, so this is what I got. It literally opened everything. It, it gave me confidence. It gave me a, a means and a way to walk the world without worrying that I have a vagina anymore. That's just so not, so it's just not dysphoric for me anymore. That's fantastic. And I've also seen that you've made a lubricant. Yeah, I also, I so I work with Slickwood, right? I and, love Slickwood. That's the only yeah, I know. Oh, they're the best. They're the best. They're the only lubricants because I mean, I, I, re- I review sex toys all the time and I get all these review, these companies contacting me and I always say no because they have awful ingredients like glycerin and petrochemicals. But excellent. Slickwood is the one. It's the only one I recommend. It's just excellent. So good. Well, we'll talk off, but I would love to get you some of my products for sure. Slickwood oh, yeah. is my. They, they, you know, Dean, the owner is one of my very best friends and he's just, he love he's such a lovable, amazing man. He really, I told him, dude, I have an idea, you know, because remember my atrophy. So because of my atrophy, we don't really talk about our vaginas trans men. It's so difficult to get them to understand how important it is to go to the gynecologist, vaginal health. So first what I did is I created this lube called T-Lube, right? Mm-hmm. And so basically it's just the same lube that he created, but I just remarketed it. And this is really for women with menopause who he has a menopausal one and so oh, i took okay. the same one and i just relabeled it so that it can now be on the shelves where it says you know tea lube and it's for trans guys but it's basically anyone can use this lube but i encourage guys to use this as a daily sort of moisturizer if you're really dry or whatever and it really has it took off and so after that i created a whole line and then i created this vaginal wash oh yeah yes yeah, so this is an all-natural vaginal wash for trans men it's so incredible oh, and it smells amazing. And then from that, I created a thing called T-Stim, which is a stimulator. So for your clitoris, and it gives it that tingly feeling and it's all, you know, all of it's all organic, natural, you know, liquid. And then I, I created just beard oil with him just for our oh, yeah. but. <laughs> so I made a whole great. line with liquid. Yeah. And they, and that's been tremendous too, because now we have a line of, you know, health products on the shelf for trans men, again, being uh, the first line of, of, of sort of health products for trans men. So the lid of the uh, tea lube, is it, is it inserting? Yes. Yeah, so no. Yeah. So I, then I just created a whole new line of toys uh, for trans men. And so one of them is the lube injector. So I also oh, created wow. a lube injector that you can add on because lube injector is so much better, I think, for trans men, because you can just kind of put it there, inject the lube and you don't have to touch yourself and be all, you know what I mean? There's just, it just keep, and it's cleaner. It's actually cleaner to inject the lube for anyone. You just, it, it, it just squirts right in. You never have to like, it's not as messy anymore. Then I created a uh, what I call the trans male cock ring. So I created a oh, cock yeah, ring. Oh, yeah, let's see that. Have you got one of those there? <laughs> you know what? I totally don't have so it here with stuff, but I'm going to oh. send it to you because I want you to review it. Oh, I totally cool. want you to review it. Yeah. So what is and it like for the clitoris? Is it for the Yeah, so it, it basically, gosh, I'm so dumb. I did it. I just cleaned up everything. It basically goes around. It's like, the, it's basically a, a harness, um, what do you call it? The lasso, you know, the lasso cock rings. Okay. So basically it fits around your clitoris and you pull it like a thing and then it makes it really tight. So your clitoris stays erect. 
It's wow. insane. Oh my God, it's so good. That one's selling like mad. <laughs> you, have that, you have that in common then, because I, I um, also work on the development side of sex toys and I get to try them and say, and work with people say, no, it has to be more this, it has to be more that. It's Excellent. such a cool thing, isn't it? <laughs> Excellent. No, I really want to collaborate with you. We'll talk off because I have some good ideas and you're perfect for that. Excellent. Oh, great. My, yeah. my last episode that I just, um, I've got, I've got a lunar schedule with my podcast. It's new moon and full moon. And then for this last episode, I interviewed the world's only sex toy historian. It's so interesting because oh, she, she wrote this book called Buzz a stimulating story for sex toy. I really recommend to anyone in this sector to read it because it's, you realize how important this, this is um, sex toys and pleasure, et cetera, because people, and I've had to deal with lots of stigma over, over the years of like, Oh, you're in the sex industry or you're, you know, sex toys are frivolous or they're scandalous or both, you know? And yep, uh, did, yep. you, did you know that um, strap-ons were not initially for lesbian sex or pegging? They were for straight couples they had hollow insides for impotent men so they could shag their wives properly. Wow. And that's why they're called marital aids. Isn't that fascinating? Oh, no, it so makes total sense. I completely see that. that. And so that was pre-erection pills, right? So, you know, I, yeah. also created, I created the first erection drink with CBD in it. It's called the <laughs> I'll send you some of these too. And this stuff works. Let me tell you, this stuff is a give a man a boner, he'll keep coming back. It's a real thing. I can't keep it in stock. It's so crazy. Oh wow. That's so cool. I saw that you're also a cannabis activist. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I also have my own cannabis company, uh, Private Wellness. And so, you know, I, I'm sober 30 years from drugs and alcohol, but you know, cannabis is um uh, a, a space that I got into because of my insomnia mm-hmm. and I was taking sleeping pills and you know that that's just drugs and I wake oh, up like that. Mm-hmm. yeah I wake up like that I'm like ew I hate it so I just started using cannabis and it changed my life and I realized wow what a beautiful plant uh, medicine and then you know even getting into psychedelics now and understanding the space that all these things are going to that can actually create a better space for people mentally as well as physically and so really I did get into this new plant medicine space which has been really powerful for me to sort of you know I'm kind of tired of being just lumped into this trans space also with oh, this yeah. new kind of space where it's going it's just not who I am I'm a guy who likes life <laughs> I'm a guy who loves sex I'm a guy who likes to have conversation I'm a guy who's very open about myself everything that's coming from that trans community doesn't represent who I am and so for me it's that's why cannabis is such a great space because it's not the trans space right and the sex space too like really wanting i have such a huge female fan base it's crazy so that's why like really just pushing i want to talk about sex and stuff in a way that doesn't put me in this like pigeonhole that makes sense oh yeah absolutely because that's that's my philosophy of this uh, podcast actually because i was so sick of um I'm sick of the tits and ass, um, vulgar representation of sexuality. I believe in sexual beauty, you know, like intimacy and all those incredible things. And I don't think it's naughty. I think it's natural. And I remember a few years ago, I had an interview with uh, Marie Claire Brazil about orgasms and sex toys. And then she said, I'm going to be late for the interview. Uh, and I said, no problem. And then she said, sorry, I was in traffic. And I was like, yeah, no problem. And I said, I had no alarm now for 10 years. <laughs> and that's the detail of our conversation that she remembered. And I yeah. realized that having a no alarm life for 12 years now, it's got to be something to talk about. And also I'm, I'm, I'm a minimalist, I'm vegan, I'm, I, I eat everything organic. Wow. 
So, so I'm really into it. I read all the time. I have no TV. So I've got all these things about my life that I really want to share. So I'm just sick of just, so I think sex is more powerful if it's actually presented in an, in a way that's part of lifestyle. It's not like this hidden taboo thing on the side, you know? Oh my God. I swear we're totally connected. Everything you just said, that's exactly where I'm at completely. It's like, and I feel the anger out there. That's why I really try to disconnect from Twitter a lot. I put my thing up there, but I can't be around that. That's not who I am. I didn't transition to being an angry trans person. I trans and I've never, I mean, I've been in the business, the, the sex business for 20 plus years. And people, I, get, I, I have a lot of really big support in the sex world. People really like me and, you know, they see what I'm doing. And I, I so when I go back over to that space, I'm like, ew, What's wrong with everybody? Why is everybody so angry and at reacting instead of having a conversation where we try to figure out what we need to educate the world on trans people. We don't need to make people angry at us. And I feel like this new voice in the trans community is making everybody angry at us, right? Making people use language that doesn't resonate with them. That in itself is not okay. I'm not going to call you something that you're not comfortable with. And I'm not going to force you to put your pronouns down there. And I'm not going to tell you that you're not a woman because that hurts somebody else's feelings. I mean, since when are we so sensitive to one tiny little group of people? Where the rest why, of the is, um, why is the word woman controversial and the word men isn't? That's Did right. That? Great. You said it. You just said it, my friend. I, I wonder, I'm this is a naive question. I just, I just wonder myself. Like, why is it that is that particular part of the trans community that is pushing against women saying trans women are women trans women are not women trans women are trans women stop it and stop overriding women's voices i am a born woman i'm a, i'm a feminist i came from that space i lived half my life as a woman i know what it means to actually live out there in the world where people hate women every day you see it so when trans women come in and start changing this narrative or the trans community they're hurting women they are not helping the cause they're overriding women voices they forget they come from a male space they come they were socialized as men that doesn't look good for the women's movement when you come in socialize as men and start overriding women's voices instead of having the conversation and you start calling women turfs and you start calling anyone who disagrees with you names and you start to that's not going to make change and it's not making change and i can tell you from a person who's made a lot of change in this world because why i've always met you in the middle i've never ever pushed on people to call me a man if you want to call me a woman you go right ahead it means nothing to me you see what i mean like we cannot start to override voices and change language for a very small group of people who are basically going to disappear in the next five years because people are not going to be happy with this. Well, and then who's going to clean up the damage? Yeah, I don't know what the uh, solution is to that. And also people talk, mention a lot um, the changing room thing. And I mean, uh, this was something that was actually discussed in the second wave of feminism. I've seen some interviews with um, Betty Friedan and they were talking yeah. about, they were talking about, um, toilets and, and and changing rooms back then even um so so it's really so i'm not sure what the uh, solution is if is it a third space yes that, or you that's think my solution space? look yeah. i don't deal with that shit because look at me i'm a dude and i've always used the men's room and blah, blah 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 men don't care men don't give a shit they just don't women have a different space in the world i don't need to tell you that you're a woman you understand when you walk so here's the deal why are we not trying to find a, a solution instead of saying, if you don't let us in the woman's room, you're transphobic. That's not a solution. 
That's bullying behavior. So the solution, and then when we say, let's just make a third bathroom, they're like, well, that's transphobic. I'm like, no, it is not. It's actually, <laughs> how is that transphobic when you're given your own bathroom? <laughs> yeah. How is that tra transphobic is when you don't get a bathroom. Transphobic is when you don't get anything. Transphobic is when no one gives a shit. That's transphobic. But they've made this word that anytime you push against this, what I like to now call an agenda, you're transphobic. Guess what? Things, are, things will not change that way. They never will. And it will only hurt us. It's not helping us. So when you start, so for me, I think, I live in a space where I want to coexist in the world. I don't want to take your space. I want to coexist with you. Exactly. We have, we have to coexist. We're all humans. We have, so we have That's to right. on that, what makes us the same rather than highlighting those differences. I well, think. that's why they're trying to take biology off the table. And that's why they're trying to say yeah. biology is not real and that it's a socially constructed space. And I'm like, really? Uh, did you go to biology class? <laughs> and, and actually, there's wow. a lot. Biology is the world. The world lives in the biology space. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And also in the in the sex toy world, I mean, I mean, a few years ago it was there's pride when, when in, in a company that when it said it was designed by women for women, and now it's like we can't say this word. And was there was there actually a moment in time when that happened, or was it a gradual change? Do you gradual. Know? I watched it happen over time, and I'd say in the last three maybe even just two it's been like just fascist movement it's just insane like here in america holy shit i'm scared i think the uk is pulling back a little now the uk is starting to see they're starting to shut down you know these uh spaces where they can just hand out testosterone like candy uh they're starting to shut down the spaces that are giving children puberty blockers they're starting to realize that but here i see a momentum happening and you know there has to be a, a way that we can talk about this where it we, we're not always called i get called transphobic yeah i've seen your twitter i think it's, it's um, <laughs> i think you've got it's, it's a shame how yeah. dare they call me transphobic how and dare they after everything you've been through as well i mean after I think everything and i'm yeah. a trans person i'm an actual yeah. real who's done a lot of work in the world and for these people to call me transphobic that's when i said this is a fake thing something's happening here and and to to talk about what you said earlier which is money you know money yeah. makes the world go round. money always always follow the money you know they they say that follow the money and so i started to follow the money and i started to see where stock companies were saying invest in trans surgery it's going to be a five billion dollar in industry they're calling us an industry what that is sick <laughs> Yeah. Actually, I'm living in Barcelona, Spain. Have you been to Barcelona? Oh my God, I love Barcelona. I love Spain, but it's becoming crazy there too. Yeah, well, actually, because obviously Spanish is a, is a language with gender. I mean, like the table has a gender, the chair. That's you know, right. La Mesa, el, La Silla, you know, elsewhere. No, I lived in Mexico for 10 yeah. years. Yeah, I know, totally. But what's interesting is um, how they're kind of like created that kind of a third gender now not not hijos hijas or hijas or something yeah but also the other day i saw something on twitter which was um they said they were talking about the covid vaccine and how that in, can influence um the menstrual cycle hasn't it it's been fine for me but anyway someone said um affecting mujer, women and uh, personas menstruantes like menstruating oh, people who menstruate and i didn't think yeah. that was so bad because i didn't just say menstruating people it said women and menstruating people so I, th I thought that was okay but I mean they Me all, I mean I think that's that's how it should be you know but people that's were right. just kind of looking at them what what do you mean um menstruating people that's you mean women blah 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 but I think um 
that's the solution I, I think is, is is to kind of have both why, why do we have to erase one to, to accommodate that's my other? point if they if, yeah. they, if they exactly right I'm totally fine with that because you're including women but when you start saying people who menstruate and leaving out women that is an erasure of women and I don't understand why people don't understand that and you you made the best point you're like why are they not doing that with men <laughs> yeah, that's a big question. It's a big question. I guess because men's faces are not as threatened, I suppose. They don't live in that same danger or, you know, like same kind of. Well, that's exactly right. Women have been having to fight for their space forever. Women are a second class citizen on some level. And now it's becoming worse. When you actually erase the idea of woman, you've now just, you've just actually erased them. <laughs> so, you know, I laugh because I don't want to cry because I feel like it's just so dangerous. Whatever's happening right now is, as far as I'm concerned, dangerous. And that might be an overreaching word, but I don't think it's healthy that we start to, to, to bring into the world this non-gendered space when I believe in gender and I live living, I love being a man and I love living in that space. And I'm sure you, I can't speak for you, but you probably like being a woman and like living in that space. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I think to some degree we're all kind of, we could all be described, many people could be described as non-binary because, I mean, I definitely have masculine characteristics. That's right. Listen, I, went to, I went to see a psychic healer recently and um, she told me to kind of embrace my divine feminine because I've always been a doer, a kind of like yeah. a woman with balls and, you know, <laughs> I do love my long hair and now I'm just wearing more dresses and stuff to try and, and just being instead of doing and just like flowing a bit more. So I'm kind of really in the feminine space now. So it, it's That's kind of beautiful. feels nice. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. You know, for me too, I always hid that when I was a girl. I hated it because I people would see me as a girl. But as a man now, and I and I really tried to achieve this hyper masculinity of my appearance, I I think I've become more able to sort of. Uh, be in touch with that female side of myself, whatever that means, right? We have both. We that's right. Both. That's yeah. right. And so if you start erasing this idea of masculine, feminine, or female, male, where's that going to go? This has been around since the beginning of time. All kinds of different different, gener different cultures use masculine and feminine. It's not something that was just sort of there. It's literally part of who we are. And um, I just don't feel that we need to erase that in order to embrace trans. That That's how I feel. So it feels as if the part of my community feels like we have to erase that because it's against trans people when that's not true. Look at how I've lived 27 years happy as being this man. So I, I don't agree with that. Definitely. So a couple of quick questions. Um, what's the book that changed your life? Do you have a book that, that oh, changed wow. your life? Gosh, that is such a great question. I, you know, I just started re reading Wayne Dyer and I started oh, I getting love into him. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Have you seen, um, the my shift? Have you seen that documentary? Oh, no, that, that one, I, I'm going to read. What am I reading now? It's right over there. I can't remember the name of it, but whoa, holy moly. I'm like, this is what I need. It's exactly what I need. So, you know, I'm, I'm really into the spiritual space now and really learning to understand what is my purpose here in this earth? because I don't want to be an angry trans guy. I, I don't even, I'm not a trans guy. That's the thing is I'm just a guy who was a woman who became a man and, and lives this. So, so really finding books that I don't want to say self-help, but really try to get me to understand that I don't have to live in this angry space because people say things to me or, you know, it's like I'm in full control of who I am and I'm in full control of my emotions. And that's been helping me. Wayne Dyer has been helping me find that space. What you put out in the world comes back to you. And that is really powerful. There's also an emphasis on unity 
in those types of teachings as well about how that's right we are connected and sometimes people you know who trigger you can be your teachers in the end you know so it's kind of yeah that's right i i've so, so being pushed on by my community has actually been a service a very big service to me because mm-hmm. it's made me go why am i so mad why are people so mad at me what am i doing that's making people angry am i doing something wrong so i really had to sort of figure out you know because i want to take responsibility for myself and so i started to realize no the world is angry right now and there's a lot of stuff and people are pushing and people aren't taking responsibility we're not teaching a younger generation to take responsibility for themselves if you notice that and i noticed there's a lot of victimy stuff coming you know don't say that to me you're hurting my feelings i'm triggered you my pronouns are this and you know and the anger that's coming from that generation is a disservice to them we're not teaching them that the world can be come at you. And if you don't understand that, you won't survive in the world. I'm glad I came from a generation of no internet because I've, I'm, I've, I'm a survivor. I'm not a victim person. I, I, I have survived this space and will survive until I die. Great. So what's your um, philosophy of life? Do you have a quote or an affirmation that you live by? Well, yeah, most important to me is learning how to love yourself. And I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but on some level, really self-love. And that can be physical self-love as well as mental self-love. And so for me, teaching the world and through my products. Oh, which, yeah? Yeah, that's, that's it. Self-love, it's been absolutely. Self-love. Masturbation <laughs> and self-love is everything, especially for people who are so, which I think it doesn't matter if you're trans or not. All of us have issues with our bodies and all of us have issues with learning to love ourselves especially i think women like i wasn't taught to masturbate i wasn't taught of those that men are men are given the gift of hey dude jack off it's totally cool when do you ever hear that from women (laughs) go in the bathroom and jack off dude you'll feel better you don't hear that around women's faces so so really what i want to say here is really what i live by is self-love and really always trying to make myself a better person and not worrying what the world thinks about me but really understanding that what i put out there will come back to me. So if I put out love and happiness and conversation, I think all of that comes back to me. Great. So where can people find you? Buckangel.com, Instagram, Buckangel, Twitter, Buckangel. Watch out for Twitter. <laughs> Facebook, <laughs> Facebook, Buckangel official. But I'm not a big Facebook person. I actually yeah. find it to be very toxic and gross. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Well, Buckangel, thank you so much for joining me today on the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. It's been so entertaining and informative. Right on. Thank you for having me. You're so sweet. Awesome. Thank you. The book I'm reading now is You Are a Badass, How to Stop Doubting Your Greatness and Start Living an Awesome Life by Jen Sincero. And this is a New York Times bestseller. I'm reading this book because I recently interviewed Nicole Mitchell, who is also known as the pastor turned stripper. And we had a fascinating interview, which will be published very soon. And as you may know, if you've been listening to The Orgasmic Lifestyle, I ask all of my guests, what is the book that changed your life? And she mentioned this book, and that's why I had to get it. It's very similar to other self-help books that I've that I've read in the past, but I do think that it's always good to kind of get this stuff in your head and it's almost like a form of consensual brainwashing. But in this book, it's a very, it's very, it's the conversational style. And it also discusses the author's own experience as well as some, as well as sharing some tips. And it's very, very easy to read. But I don't think it's a good thing to read it too quickly because otherwise you'll kind of, it'll take maybe a bit more difficult to actually absorb the lessons. 
So some of the lessons in the book would talk about affirmations, gratitude, and forgiveness. And right now I'm on a chapter called The Drama of Overwhelm. And that's something I can really identify with right now. And there's a sub um, category in it called Delegate or Die. And it's something that I'm really dealing with right now because right now my house is an absolute mess and I need to get my cleaner in, but I need to kind of like clean before the cleaner, if you see what I mean. So I'm thinking, how can I do that? And she talks about doing things in chunks, an hour at a time. And that's kind of making things a bit easier for me because sometimes I feel like I have so many things to do. I don't do anything. So I'm just thinking about I'm just thinking about the drama of overwhelm. So I've just been doing one room at a time to try and get things in, in order before I can call my cleaner to do the actual deep clean. And also with work, I'm in a process now of growth and I'm about to start delegating a lot more tasks. And I just realized there's some things I don't really want to do myself, such as posting um, blog posts or publishing blog posts. I just think I can't be bothered <laughs> or even um, some social media stuff. There's so much to do with um, when you're a content creator. There's creating the content, but after that, you've got to publish the content and then promote the content. It's just a never ending job, even though I do love what I want to, I love what I do, but I don't want to be doing too many things. I, I want to just concentrate on the pure essence of content creation and then get others to help me along the way. And also I think it's a good thing to to kind of work with other people. And when you have success, then it's a success for more people as well. And it's nice to share your professional passions, in my opinion. Anyway, on the blurb of this book, it says, you are at by the end of You Are a Badass, you'll understand why you are how you are, how to love what you can't change, how to change what you don't love, and how to use the force to kick some serious ass. Well, I'm halfway through now and I am looking forward to the end if that is the promise. So highly recommended, You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. Now it's time to slow things down as we prepare for this episode's Guided Affirmations Meditation. It's probably not a good idea to listen to this while driving or operating machinery. Instead, take a break from whatever you're doing, get comfortable, take a deep breath and enjoy. I look after my body. I enjoy my body. I get checked regularly. I practice safe sex. I protect myself and my partners. When I feel safe, I can let go and enjoy the moment. I am sexually healthy. I look after my body. I enjoy my body. I get tested for STIs regularly. I communicate my STI status to my partners. When I notice that there is something not quite right, I seek medical help. I touch myself for pleasure 
and to make sure all is well. I am sexually healthy. I look after my body. I enjoy my body. I am honest with my doctor. I embrace my intimate scent. I deserve to feel pleasure. I know that safe sex is good sex. I am sexually healthy. I look after my body. I enjoy my body. I make sure my sex toys are clean. I make sure my sex toys are made with body safe materials. My genitals deserve top quality toys and lubricants. My sexual health is important. I am sexually healthy. To find out more about me and my orgasmic lifestyle, visit venusohara.org or follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash venusohara. Make sure to search for the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening. Have an orgasmic week and make sure every day is a climax.